and welcome to Neurodivergent Moments podcast. My name is Joe Wells and I'm here with Abigail Shimon. Hello, Joe. How are you doing today? I'm good. That was slightly less awkward than our last introduction. You we're, we're losing. <laughs> we're going backwards. We wanted to make these more awkward each time. You you hit it with such great proficiency. You're really harshing on our brand, man. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> People are going to say that I'm not really autistic. I'm too slick in the introductions. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of which, we had Luke Poulton on this time. We did. And we were talking about school, but he also, um, t- not to say that we record these intros back to back and we're going to carry on a conversation, but we were talking <laughs> earlier about how you are sometimes told uh, after being seen on stage that people say you don't look autistic. And yeah, Luke, we were talking about that two weeks ago, but weirdly I can remember it like it had only happened yeah, half an hour ago. So, it's almost like it just happened. And Luke said a similar thing. He sometimes gets that after shows. Yeah, and it, it it's, yeah, it's it's amazing, isn't it? Because Luke, I think um, the way that, like when I'm watching Luke do stand-up, um, and, and firstly, amazing stand-up, you, I can tell that Luke is autistic on stage it seems mm-hmm. um people have such a view of autistic people as being you know not confident not able to you know to, of not being able to do struggling with things that um uh that they would see luke do sound up and go no i don't i don't think he's autistic you know i was kind of when we got <clears throat> off that interview i was thinking about that how you both get told that and people are like, but you make great eye contact and you do this and you do that when you're on stage. It's like, but you don't because no one makes eye contact when they're doing stand up on stage. Yeah, It yeah. just kind of looks like you are because you look in the general direction of a crowd. So it, like, but, but like when you're on stage, the way you look at people and the way you speak to a group is different than a person speaks to another person one-on-one and there's also not a risk call and response like it's not a conversation it's Mm. a monologue so of course everyone sounds like i i don't know what as people would say not autistic but what it really is is like you're happy you're confident you're talking about the thing you love and you don't have anyone interrupting you it's the best (laughs) We get a little green room as well. We don't have to be in the noisy main room. We get a little quiet room we can go into. Exactly. You're not overstimulated. It's great. I think that confidence thing is quite a common thing. I remember being in a meeting in an old job and someone saying uh, that they didn't... They were talking about someone who was uh, was um, uh, autistic and they said, well, I, but I don't think she was autistic. She always seems very confident to me. And... Uh, uh, the, uh, I, w- they didn't know that I was autistic and I wish that I'd said, well, I'm autistic. But ironically, I didn't have the confidence to tell them <laughs> that. Um, but I think that's a, that's, a, that's a very common thing. People think if you're confident that, that you can't be autistic, um, uh, even though that's not in any way part of a criteria. Yeah. I mean, I think it goes back to, uh, you know, people seeing uh, autism as being taught when people are told about autism there uh, a vast majority majority of the public are only told about how difficult it is and how mm. you know how like oh you know all of 
all the things that might make it a little harder, whereas no one talks about what what's great about it, you know, especially yeah, in the neurotypical world, you know. Mm. And I think we, we've really married the people's response to how we're treated with the sort of... Um, neurotype itself so i think a lot of a lot of autistic people aren't confident but i think a big chunk of that is because of experiences of being in social situations and being told you're being rude you're talking too much you're you haven't said this you're acting weird you know and that knocks your confidence yeah um, but that doesn't mean that people are naturally if you constantly tell people that they're saying things wrong whoever they are that that will knock their confidence well like we when we had luke on i thought it was a very funny back and forth because we talked about before we started the recording we told Luke it's like okay we're gonna talk about school and education and you know uh, obviously we'll talk about whatever comes up but we really just want to kind of keep everything light and fun because we're a bunch of comedians and our goal is to make like a kind of fun podcast and then we were like so what's school like and you could tell Luke was like Oh, God. Like, it was not good. <laughs> but it, 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 it is, for everyone, school is just such a hard time, isn't it? Because you're mm. all, you're around people all the time who you maybe never would normally be around. Um, you know, you're sort of, like, going through puberty and working yourself out. And like, it's just it's so hard for, for everyone's school. Mm. And for, I think particularly hard for, for neurodivergent people becoming increasingly aware you're not like um, the other people in your school. And um, and it's such a small... As you get become an adult, you find your, your people and you go, well, these people are like me. But when you're in a, a class and there's no one out of those 30 random people that's like you, that's an incredibly alienating thing. You know, you go... It's quite a common thing for, for neurodivergent, certainly autistic people, to... to when they're kids to think that they're aliens mm. that like that's quite a common kind of th- thing that people think um and i totally get that you know because you're in a class and no one's like you and you're becoming aware that you think completely differently to other people and uh you're potentially not not sure why yeah no one's like you and also like you're a kid so it's not like you can be like I'm going to go find my own friend group and go over here and join this thing. Like, it's like, no, you're in a class with 30 people and these, these are your options. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess it's pre-internet as well. Yeah. Right? Isn't that, we don't know if there's anyone like you out there. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's a little different now that kids have the internet and social media, but when we were growing up and even Luke's just, he's a little younger than us, but not, not so much younger that he grew up in a big, the big uh, internet boom that it just wasn't available to you to really know. What was school like for you, Joe Wells? I think, uh, yeah, I think it was very hard. I think I still, um, this is probably such a male response, isn't it? But I still feel very angry about a lot of the way things were at school and about not uh, sort of social stuff and not the way I was always sort of... um, I think a lot of friendships I had were maybe unhealthy where people didn't I sort of strung along by friends a lot and sort mm. of didn't um but you know, I I had to, I I had some friends I had um uh, I had a friend uh called Terry who I really liked um who was the most prolific bullshitter 
And uh, I quite liked that because you knew, like, I completely knew, knew the rules that I just go along with whatever he's coming out with. But it's just all lies, you know. So there was no navigating tricky social, you know, is this person being sarcastic? Are they misleading me? I knew he was always talking bollocks. <laughs> this was uh, two, must be about 2000, 2003. His brother was in the army. It was in the armed forces, either the army or the navy. And he pull, Terry pulls me and our, our mate Jack around. He goes, guys, let's keep this between us. Um, I found out this morning my brother has killed Bin Laden. He's, he was given a special mission to kill Bin Laden. He has assassinated him. It hasn't been announced yet, so, you know, let's keep that between ourselves. <laughs> and we all had to just go along and go, all oh, right, yeah, that's interesting. I should episode, this is 2002, 2003. This is at least 10 years before Bin Laden was killed. Um, but, he, yeah, he, he was um, he, he was amazing. I, I, I've always felt quite uh, uh, felt comfortable around people that are just complete bullshitters. I'm fine with that. I like it. You're like, I understand this rule. Nothing you say will be true. Yeah, and I'm just fine and go along with it. He had a spot, he had a, a, spet, a pet tarantula, but when we were around his house, we couldn't see it because it had bitten its way out of the cage and escaped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course, because that's how strong they are. They can bite their way <laughs> out of glass terrariums, is what I believe you keep well, them he, in. He said he kept it in a cage, and, and you know, I've got no reason to doubt him. <laughs> Why not? Why not? <laughs> How was your school time? It was, you know, like, uh, it was fine. I Like, I've done uh, other podcasts where people talk about school, and obviously school is awful for everyone. But, like, the one thing my parents did that I thought was very good is they've done a they've done a couple things mom thank you for listening uh but uh uh just want to throw that out the only thing no but one thing i think my parents did well is they kind of raised us to be like you go to um you know you go to call you go to high school and then like you get to go to college and you can go to college anywhere and and you get to leave the town you live in and I was never raised with the idea of you go to university or college and then you come back or stay around in the area to be around the family. Like, I, it was always kind of like, and then you, you know, you graduate from high school and then you get to go into university and you make your own way in the world. So my entire, like, specifically, like, high school career I didn't particularly have a good time, but I didn't care. I didn't care if I was popular. I didn't care um, if I was well-liked because in my head I was like, well, I'm just doing my time here and then I get to go. Um, Because I got diagnosed later and I had no idea that I had ADHD, um, now looking back, there are certain things that I'm like, oh, that's what that was. I remember one time very clearly my dad helping me with my homework and it was one of those where you answer a question and then there's like uh, lines over here that you put the answer like on the other side of the page which is a stupid way to do things like a list or whatever and I had answered them but I accidentally skipped a line halfway through so therefore all of my answers were on the wrong line. And I realized that and I had to like erase everything and rewrite it. 
and and I thought I was like, oh, I made this mistake, and I'm erasing it, and and my dad was kind of like, oh, doing homework with that kid is like insane. Like she just takes forever, and she makes all these like little errors, and like he was just so frustrated that it took me so long to do it and that I had made this like mistake. So therefore I had to go back and redo it. Actually, now that I think about it, now I'm really triggered when I do stuff like that. And I just figured out why it's because when I was a kid, it used to like frustrate, I think, well, both my parents, but I think my dad more specifically. And, uh, and, and I remember as a kid being like, I don't understand. Like I did the, I, I understood the assignment. Like I did the assignment. I, I, I made a mistake, but I fixed my mistake. And he was just like, couldn't understand why it took me so long and why these little errors constantly creep up into my schoolwork. And now I know why. And, um, yeah, it's interesting looking back and knowing that I was trying so hard to do things the way they were supposed to be done. And it was always a struggle and now I, you know, and I was famously, you know, I'm one of those kids who always did their homework on the bus, uh, never did it the night before. Uh, there are times where I just wouldn't turn in assignments because I thought they were uh, redundant and unnecessary. And that resulted once in me getting an overall D in English class. And my mom was like, why do you have a D? And I was like, because <clears throat> the teacher wanted me to write a paper and I, I was too busy. And she's like, why didn't you write you just write the paper. I was like, well, I had dance class that night and I had theater that night. And he said that all we had to do was write it and we get an A. And if he's not even going to read it, I'm not going to write it. And my mom was just like, just write the damn paper, kid. Like, <laughs> like just do it. And I was like, no, it's unnecessary. I won't. <laughs> I will. That's not. a very neurodivergent thing, isn't it? Of going like, like not like this thing is pointless. I, I always hated showing you're working in maths. But yeah. you get, and I, but I've worked, I know the answer, just, then working doesn't matter because the answer's correct. And I, I never got the showing you're working thing. So <laughs> were, you, were you quite like a, I guess the sort of stereotype would be, were you quite an unusual kid? Yeah. And I really wore it as a badge of honor, which is probably, you know, a, you know, a protected, you know, how, you know, Everyone's going to laugh at you, so be the class clown sort of thing. Hmm. My perception of the sort of American school system from mm -hmm. watching films is that it's just the most toxic thing, that it's all sort of, there's a sort of encouraged bullying and hierarchy. Is that true, or is that just what I've seen in teen dramas? Yeah, yes and no. And I don't know how much the teen dramas, like, actually uh, perpetuate it. But they're, you know... There's cliques. Cliques are very real. I went to a very small school by American standards, by, by what you see on TV. There were like 300 some people in my graduating class. So maybe in the high school, which is 19 uh, of four years, so ninth grade to uh, 12th grade, um, there was probably a thousand kids in the building, you know. So it, by, by standards, it wasn't, wasn't big. But, there, you know, they're the, the jocks. The jock state, the the uh, cheerleaders. I was a theater kid and the a choir nerd. I grew up in Ohio, and uh, I did not make show choir, which was soul crushing. Um, but uh, yeah, there are definitely clicks, and you kind of like know your 
place in it. Like, again, I knew I wasn't popular. I knew I wasn't going to be voted for homecoming queen. You know, that's a whole clique of people who gets voted for stuff like that. Um, I knew... Um, so it's a real fit thing, the homecoming queen and King oh, queen. oh, it's very real. And then you have like the burnouts and the goths, and like they're their own clique, and everyone dresses a certain way. I remember in the sixth grade talking to this girl in my dance class, and she's like, "You know how this boy's name was Jesse?" And she was like, "You know how Jesse's really popular? Like he's the most popular guy in school." And I was like, "Jesse's not the most popular. Jesse's a loser. Jesse's like." Jesse's one of like the bad, you know, the bad kids. Like he's, he's like a burnout. He's like, you know, and then in my head, I was like, oh, he's the most popular person in that clique. Right. You know what I mean? So like all, all the, all the like burnout kids are looking at the jocks and thinking they're losers. And all the jocks are looking at the burnouts and thinking they're losers. And then you have the theater people in the middle who are just like, wearing sparkles <laughs> um <laughs> so but, burnouts you're talking about like, like like i get like sort of slackers sort yeah of slackers right. yeah slackers okay. i mean i th- think we might have been a little young at the time for like actual drug use but maybe not but, but but yeah the kids who start smoking cigarettes a little earlier like you know at 13 and 14 and i can't say if this kid was smoking weed at that time but like yeah that slacker the kid who sits in the back of the room with the baggy t-shirt on in the baggy jeans who's just like not ever really trying to like excel at school for one reason or the other uh yeah that would be like what i'd call the burnouts and then yeah but on the off chance we have young people listening to this who are uh neurodivergent or maybe not even neurodivergent just a bit different at school like it does get better and you do Mm. once you leave if you can't find your tribe while you're in school, they do exist and you will find them. Oh, definitely. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I think um, the, the world at school is so small, isn't it? You mm. just sort of, um, who's the comic that does the thing about teachers teaching and he says the, the, the who goes to this school, just the children who live near the building, you know, <laughs> that, that's what school is. It's just the people who live near this building. Yeah. And um I couldn't, of no amount of money would, um, you know, if I was offered millions of pounds to go back um, and go through school again, I would not take, well, I would if I had millions of pounds, I suppose, because then it would be a different experience. I'd go to school and be a millionaire. But yeah, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's a very, it's such a hard time, isn't it? When, when you, you know, you're not in a place and you've got to like work with these people, you know, there's, you've got no freedom. You know, we, we've chosen to work in an industry where there's people who are a bit like us, us and where we sort of fit into this industry. Yeah. And there'll be other industries for other people and other, other places where you can find your people. But at school, you have no choice. You're doing maths today, whether you're good at maths or not. And you're sat next to someone who you have nothing in common with and they don't really like you. Yeah. And you have to work in groups. Oh, uh, yeah. Absolute nightmare. I, yeah, I remember... Yeah. Um, so, and then at university, I start, I worked in groups with my housemates who I did get on with, but we all sort of enabled each other to not do the work. So we would stay up late the night before and go, oh, no, we, we haven't started this and we've got to do a presentation tomorrow. But you were all in the same house, so you could pull an all-nighter together. Do you know what? I, I got a first for that. 
that presentation. I did it in, in about five hours um, and went into university very, very tired, but, but I got a first for that presentation. Oh, that's that throws me back to every presentation I ever did through my academic career. The <laughs> night before you throw it all together. Yeah, yeah. Well, shall we bring Luke on? Yes, yes. Let's introduce Luke. Here he is, Luke Poulton. Oh, sorry. You you go for it. Introduce Luke. Okay. Uh, Here he is, Luke Poulton. Cool. I will edit that so it wasn't awkward at the end. (laughs) Cool. Or or, or actually keep it in. Keep that in and keep this in. We started started not (laughs) awkward. We're getting awkward at the end. We have to stay on brand, Joe West. (laughs) Being our authentic selves. Yes. Should we have a little bit of awkward, awkward silence before Luke? Okay. Okay. Hmm. I can't okay. handle it. I can't <laughs> handle it. <laughs> Welcome to Neurodivergent Moments, Luke. We're very happy to have you on. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Very excited for this. Luke Poulton, stand-up comedian, TikTok star, killing it. I was going to introduce you as Pe- uh, Pez Historian as well. Yeah, Pez Historian. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad I've got that name now. <laughs> For people who don't know, Luke does incredible TikToks. Um, I, they, they're brilliant. They're now at the point where at least 50% of them are about Pez uh, dispensers. Which and and it, and they are brilliant. I I knew nothing about pears. I now know a lot about pears from following you on TikTok. I think I have annoyed my girlfriend now with how many facts I've learned though, because she doesn't want to hear them anymore. <laughs> Just come out of your office. You're like, did you know? <laughs> so like we were talking before we start started. Pez weren't really a thing over here when you guys were kids. How did pears wind up being a special interest of yours? Um. Well, my mum. Like she, they used to sell some in some shops, but it, like my mum got me some Christmas ones as a kid. But then, when I was in university and just over the years, I started collecting more and more. When I went to New York, I found like Kermit and Batman and random ones there. So that was where I started buying more and more. But then last year, um, I was searching for Violet from The Incredibles too, um, and I couldn't find her anywhere. I did a whole series of going to when I went to Disneyland Paris, and I was trying to find there. And then in that time, as I was searching up about that, I just got more and more into the history and like finding out that it was all sort of well, fr- right from 1927 and find out how it was created for anti-smoking and then just find out more and more weird stuff they made over the years. I just got really into learning the history about it and collecting them. <laughs> That's awesome. Here's a question. Do you actually like the Pez candy itself or do you just like the dispensers? Oh, no, I know I like the candy. It's, there's some flavors I don't like because there's over 10 flavors, but... There are quite a few flavors that I do like. Very cool. Okay, so we got to ask, what are your favorites? What are your not favorites? Uh, my favorite is cherry. Um, my not favorites are candy corn. It just it, it just tasted very, very odd. I only had it recently. Uh, and raspberry is my least favorite. Um, yeah. What is, I don't know what candy, you can help us have a glare. Because what, what is candy corn? Because I hear about it, but I don't, is it is it what I think it is? So it's not actually corn, like all oh, American it's thing. It is, it's sugar. <laughs> um, it's just pure sugar. So it is um, a. It's like a sweet that's usually sold. Do you know what they are, Luke? Have you ever yeah, seen? I, I, yeah, I've seen them. Um, I'm trying to think what it's all. It's like five different ingredients, isn't it? That they put together. Oh, yeah, you know so more I'm, than I do. Then, like, it, 
It's basically like this little candy that's like supposed to be in the shape of a kernel and they're big at um, Halloween. They're usually yellow, orange, and white. And they kind of have this like, they're not like a gummy. They almost have like a wax thing going on with them. I'm not making them sound good and I don't <laughs> like them for the record. And um, their flavor is just kind of like, I don't know, maybe sweet and vanilla. You could argue it's got a caramelly flavor, but it not really. They're not good. I didn't know they made a Pez flavor. No, but yeah, the Pez flavor. I, th- I think they started releasing them for like Halloween a few years ago. Um, and they're just very, I think it was meant to be banana is part of the flavors. I think it's meant to be banana, caramel and something else. But it's, it's, it's not a good flavor. Uh... And it sounds horrible. They're not, yeah, they're not good. I, uh, one of my friends who lives over here is obsessed with them and he always asks if I can bring them back for him from, from America when I go visit. And I'm like, there's, we do have some good things over there. Like you don't (laughs) have to eat this one. They also remind me of like old timey candy, I guess like Pez, you know, they remind, they seem like a candy of like a bygone era, like the fifties or sixties before before they knew that they could put like, I don't know, liquid in candy and have it like gush out and stuff like that. Before they start putting ground up animals in uh, in candy and it would exactly. a lot better. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So uh, Luke, uh, one of the themes today is talking about like schooling and education. Uh, where where did you go to school? Did you go to school in England or? Yeah, yeah. went to school in the, in the UK in a, uh in Chelmsford, Essex. Um, if you've ever been to Essex, it's not the the best area. It doesn't have the best <laughs> reputation. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I went to Kings Road uh, in Chelmsford. That, that was the primary school I went to. And, uh, and then secondary school was Chelmer Valley. Um, very, very different schools it was. So pe- people outside the UK, there's a sort of stereotype of like <laughs> Essex boys. And um, Luke I, and I, I, I love you. But you do not. F- I, I don't see you as like a typical Essex boy. What What was that? Uh, How did you fit in with the the Essex lads? Oh, I did. I did not fit in well, um, <laughs> especially in secondary school because everyone was like really, really into football, um, really into like rap music and stuff. And I was the guy that was wearing a Slipknot coat into school, so that didn't nice. didn't go down too well with, with people. <laughs> and then yeah, just the same with with primary school as well. Just everyone being very, very into football and. Um, even after I finished school, all the all the Essex lads from my school, I didn't I didn't hang out with any of those people. Just out of curiosity, do you still talk to anyone from your second, I guess, secondary school days? Do you talk to anyone from school? Yes. Yeah, so, the funny, the only other people. So I speak to two other people, and one of those um, is another autistic guy. That so yeah, who we both didn't really get on with the with the lads at school. So, Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> do you talk to anyone from school? Joe? Uh, yes, I talked, I just got a text from my, my, my sort of one friend from school um, uh, before the show. Yeah, I, I, I have one, I had one very good friend at school who I, I still talk to. Yeah, it was, it was interesting that that thing you were saying about, so the friend in question isn't autistic, but um, he is one of my few sort of ostensibly neurotypical friends. Um, well, I was at a, a wedding yesterday and uh, me and my wife arrive and immediately 
we, we sort of spot the, like, a, a, the, another autistic person and they're sort of draw. it was a weird like magnetism we had where the and then the the bride's sister who, who we know is also autistic and we all were sort of drawn to each other my wife pointed out like that just something happened when we arrived where we were sort of magnetized towards this person it was where it was wearing a trilby i don't know whether that was what uh made us realize he was one of our people <laughs> that's awesome you're like well with that kind of outfit He's one of us for sure. Yeah. So I, I'm interested in your your autistic friend. It's, it's, it's a secondary school. Who you still? Yeah, it's a secondary school. Yeah. How did um, that meeting happen? How did you find each other? And um, so friends. It's pretty much just from sitting next to each other in class. Um, he was also really into movies. So his um, nan lived at the end of the road, right near the school. So I would walk home with him. Uh, to his every day and we just talk about movies so i think that i don't it's weird like with friendships like that i didn't really i can't really think of where it begun i think it's just that we were sat down and we just started speaking to each other about movies and just bonded from that so secondary school that's an age where you want to see films that you're not allowed to see and i remember that being a big theme of my teenage years of how are we going to get our hands on 18 rated films my my parents uh my dad took me to a 15 when i was 12 um which was the film open water which not isn't really that graphic or anything um but then when i was 11 i did get shown the sixth sense so that was like a film that um scarred me at that scarred me at that age because i'd just been i'd fallen off my bike on that day and got concussion and then my mum was like oh you can sleep in our room tonight if you're Heads a bit weird, and then I, yeah, they put on the sixth sense because my dad had <laughs> rented it. <laughs> and then because you had just fallen and had a concussion, you were like, Am I really here? Is this really? <laughs> it was very confusing saying that. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. That is a good, scary film for a kid. That's a fun one. What was, uh, what were your movies of choice with you and your, your mate? Like, uh, it was just a lot of um, it was a lot of animation stuff that we would watch as well, um, but it was all different. Just it was all different genres. I can't remember what type of films we talked, but it was every single week we'd talk about a new thing that we'd had watched. I should say it's, Luke does an incredible uh, horror movie podcast called Devil Times Five, which I've appeared on. They showed me a film called Threads. Have you seen Threads? Haven't no, that? I haven't it, seen that. Don't watch it. It has ruined my life. <laughs> I, I've seen a lot of scary films. But I have not seen anything which has impacted me like the film threads. You've got to be in a good place to watch it, and uh, it's, yeah, <laughs> I, it, a, f- a fucking terror. And it's a fifteen, but is it's it... the most terrifying thing I've ever seen. Is it less gory and more psychologically? So it's, like... it's about nuclear war. So I'm Ugh. enjoying the news at the moment, and uh, not oh now, no, God. no. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, so... I think for everyone's mental health, you should not watch it. I'm trying to think where it where is it in the UK again? The, it's in Sheffield, isn't it? Yeah, a bomb drops there, and then um, yeah, it's just the most depressing thing I've ever seen. Ugh. And it was shown on TV. When I was a kid, I was like really, um, like I was really skittish and got scared very easily of movies and stuff. So I never watched horror films, like ever. 
And just this past Halloween, I was like, I'm going to like I'd seen Scream, but Scream is like a horror movie, but it's also like a deconstruction of a horror movie. It's not actually that scary. But I sat down and watched some and like since like my 20s, I've like all women got really into true crime. And when I finally sat down and watched a horror film, I was like, I think I've been training for this for years now. Like, I'm unfaced. Like, this is fine. It's cartoonishly, like, gory. Like, I have, like, I'm absolutely fine watching this. And as a kid, I just couldn't, I couldn't watch Jurassic Park. When the guy got eaten off the toilet, I was done. Like, that's what (laughs) scarred me as a kid. Like, when the T-Rex eats the guy off the toilet, I was like, I can't watch this. This is the most terrifying movie ever. The toilet's the one place you think you're safe from dinosaurs, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I can understand Jurassic Park being. I think that did that scared me as a kid as well, because there's even the part where you think because it's a PG that it's not going to have anything like quite horrible, but then you've got Samuel Jackson's arm just being on her shoulder at one point that is just falling off or being eaten off, and you think she thinks she's bumped into him, and then it's just the arm just on her shoulder. That's still, like, such a good movie. And with, uh, God, I forget the actor's real name, but Newman from Seinfeld, the, that, that guy who gets uh, attacked by the Velociraptor. Hmm. Like, that's like, oh, it's so creepy because he loses his glasses, which is like a freaking Scooby-Doo thing. And the, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not scared anymore, guys. It's fine. <laughs> The idea, and I've never had to wear glasses, but the idea of losing your glasses is quite is a very frightening thing. Which, I, even as a non-glasses wearer, I recognise that as very, very frightening. That happens in a few films, doesn't it? Yeah. Can you see without your glasses, Luke? Uh, not very far, no. And um, I used to have glasses that I thought were bendy. Like I got a pair that were flexy at one point, and in university, um, broke them because I was showing my friend, being like, "Look, they're flexible," and just snapped them in half. Um, and then I had to go around with them with super glue and uh, uh, went to see the I film remember when they came out. I reckon those glasses were broken more than any other glasses because <laughs> kids would have them at school and be like look it's flexible and they just sort of mash them up uh, I remember going to see I went and saw Gravity and halfway through the film the super glue just snapped and you meant to have wearing 3D glasses for the movie and I was like I can't even watch this anymore now so I had to hold them together with my hands <laughs> that's such a look so, so school, you, you had your, your one friend at secondary school. What was your relationship with the teachers like? Did they, were you liked by teachers, not liked by them? Oh, yeah. I, I was like, I think some of them thought I was a bit um, naughty. But when I was in secondary school, um, I had a teaching assistant anyway, because at that point, because um, I'd been diagnosed when I was in primary school. Um, mm-hmm. So I had a teaching assistant sat next to me. Uh, but I think the teachers always sort of understood because there was times where I'd get angry at people that were being mean to me. Um, I threw a chair at someone one time, but didn't get in trouble for it because the teacher knew that the person was being horrible to me. So there was things like that. So yeah, I just had um, a lot of the teachers did like me. For, but I was very, I was very quiet when I was in secondary school. Didn't really cause much problems. <laughs> That's such a. I, I used to um, have a job work, working in in send, and it's interesting that sort of thing where you realise the extent of sort of bullying and that sort of thing where you meet people like you, Luke, who are very sort of um, just certainly are very nice people and then they're 
drop a story like that, like, oh, yeah, one time I threw a chair at someone. <laughs> I think that really shows what the British school system is like, that people like Luke were driven to throwing chairs at people. Yeah, I don't, I don't normally get very ang- that angry at things, but I think it was just, like, secondary school was the times where I just sort of was like, um, I don't want to get bullied anymore and would get back at the bullies. But whenever I... There was one time where I did get suspended, but the only reason they suspended me because they didn't want the bullies parents to get angry that because i'd hit him and he hit me back they thought that i was going to get in they didn't want the parents to come in and moan say why you're not spending that kid um and they just spent me but my mom just let me watch cartoons for those three days i got suspended from school so (laughs) so i think my, my parents understood what was going on and it sounds like do you feel like the school understood what was going on it sounds like they were pretty much on your side yeah no they they really because the um the kid wasn't very clever because afterwards they made me and him stay behind because it was a PE lesson um and we were in the change rooms and he started saying stuff to me but he didn't realize that a teacher was stood outside the whole time and then sort of just the teacher just walked in and was like I've heard all of this and it was quite funny because the kid didn't realize and just got in more trouble for it imagine being outsmarted by a PE teacher that is a <laughs> a new life because <laughs> that uh, you you were so you were diagnosed in primary school so and so I'm I'm interested in that because I was when I was at secondary school they wanted um to put me forward for a diagnosis and my mum didn't want me to be put forward to for how do you think I suppose we've only we've each only really got one side of it but how how do you think that having the diagnosis made your school life different to if you hadn't had a diagnosis um I think it un- made me understand myself a lot better in secondary school of like what the way I was in lessons or the way that I acted towards people how they were treating me because I thought the whole time like oh I think if I hadn't had a diagnosis I would have just thought oh what's going on why are people being like this to me but I think it was a lot more helpful because even later in life now I think it's been a lot better to be able to have that diagnosis so early and sort of understand myself a lot better mm-hmm. I think if I yeah, I think if I just never got it then I would have been very confused the whole time through secondary school because the only reason I did get diagnosed is because um, one of the people in secondary, in primary school, one of the teachers went to my parents and was like, has Luke been tested for, for autism? And I think if the teacher hadn't said that, because like, I didn't speak until I was like three years old and then I didn't have much speech as well. And it wasn't until I was like six when I was in school, where I started speaking more. Um, so I think my parents sort of suspected some things at that point, but it wasn't until an actual person from the school said something to them, then they did decide to get me a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Did you understand what, like, an aut- autism diagnosis was that young? Like, because I, like Joe, got diagnosed later in life. So now looking back, it answers a lot of questions. But I guess when I'm always, like, curious if, if I would have understood, if I would have understood it at such a young age, you know? Yeah, no, I... I there was always I think it's when my parents would sort of take me to because they'd go to someone every sort of couple of weeks but I would be taken along but I just thought they were just going there just for a conversation with this person and because there was just to- there was just toys in the room so I'd be able to play with the toys while they were speaking to this person so I just never really understood I thought oh they've just brought me here they want to have a conversation with this person and I get to play with toys and I thought that was it um <laughs> but yeah <laughs> so it's so reassuring because I don't know if you know this story but when I was 28 my mum said to me, oh, you know that you're autistic. And I was like, what were you talking I don't know anything about this. And she went, yeah, like, 
don't you remember me running that support group for parents of autistic children? And I was like, yeah, but like, I thought that was just like you did for fun. I didn't, like, <laughs> I don't know, I didn't really put the two together. I was sort of like, um, so it's reassuring to me that, that you didn't realize that, that, that either. I just want to chime in real quick because um, you touched on something that made me go, oh, uh, I, I'm, I have ADHD. And as Joe knows, every time we talk to someone uh, on this podcast, I'm like, oh, maybe I have that as well. And I also didn't speak until I was three years old. And my parents were like, we don't know. You just didn't. You just never talk. You just wouldn't talk at all. And then one day you just started talking in complete sentences. So you saying that, I'm like, get checked for autism. (laughs) (laughs) That's a thing right there. I did as well. I think it's just always seeing those things in a... Or all neurodiverse, we don't really understand ourselves until like I think when you know you've got one thing, then you're like, oh, maybe maybe it's that as well. Yeah, it's funny because schools are one of those things where they are like a pure representation of. I suppose you have special schools which slightly skew the stats, but as you know, as adults, you sort of clump towards people that might be a bit like you. So you might have a slightly skewed idea. We've talked about this before, like on the comedy circuit. I feel like the way that my brain works is less unusual because there's lots of neurodivergence on the comedy circuit. But at school, that is where you are very... I certainly felt very aware of, even though I didn't have the diagnosis, of being different to most people in that classroom. I don't know if it's the same for you. It's, it's weird, it's weird that um, someone that I know from secondary school, like another person that I bonded with over we bonded over the band cannibal corpse uh you know good thing uh, to yes, yeah. good thing to bond Classic. over and they only um got diagnosed like three years ago um well i know yeah two years ago they got diagnosed as autistic and i was like okay this makes sense as to how why we sort of bonded over these types of things um but i think there was always that sort of you, you know when you sort of do meet someone you're like oh you sort of do think they're autistic but you don't quite know I think that's where mm-hmm. I sort of got it in school. Like, oh, this person's very similar to me. So I think I was sort of understood that. But now I think when I'm an adult, there's some people that just uh, the way they speak to me about things. I'm like, but then you ask them and they're like, no, I'm not, I'm not autistic. I'm like, have I just insulted this person? They're going to think I'm insulting them for saying that because they're just acting the same way that I do. It is, it is one of those strange things where like, where you, when you're in sort of um, circles where people are very pro neurodiversity um, you forget that to the general population saying I think you're autistic is something which they might be offended by and uh, yeah it's a difficult thing to to navigate I remember doing a gig once and there was a woman who had an autistic child came up to me afterwards and said to me you know I said I like seeing someone doing uh, autism person in comedy you know it's really important to my son you know I just want him to know that he's normal and I said, but he's not normal. <laughs> if he's autistic, he's not, that's not normal. And um, and it was really awkward because I shouldn't have said it quite like that. But, um, but you know, I feel like in the circles we're in, we're like, but you're putting a value on what's normal. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she wasn't very happy with me saying that. Yeah, that's, that's always the, the thing when I have like parents come up to me and say, oh yeah, I've got an autistic kid. Oh, you're doing really well. I'd love for them to see you do this well i hope they do this well it's like you never know how to feel in that because like when when you're off stage 
<laughs> like when they say, oh, yeah, you're really inspirational. It's like when I'm off stage, I feel like I'm I'm not. And I'm just sat at home just watching just movies in bed. Like, is that is that my inspirational thing for them? Mm. And I think a lot of um, where autistic people thriving comes down to like not luck, but like finding your place and finding what works for you. And for me, that's the comedy circuit. So I don't, you know, it's not like I can inspire people to go, oh, the comedy works for me, you know, because it's, it's almost luck that I found the comedy circuit and that sort of fits for me. So it's, yeah, the inspiring one is is a weird, a weird one. Yeah, it's always, it's inspiring or someone saying you're so brave still. That's the... Uh, Do, that's yeah, the... you have jokes about that. People still say that? Yeah, luckily, I haven't heard it this year, but I was still hearing it last year and it it's always from like either mums or women that are like 60 or years old that will come up to me and say it i had one woman that was even a, a teacher who teaches autistic kids and she came up to me and was like you're so brave and i was like okay that's it and i normally just i normally just say thanks but then she went especially with what you've got and I was like, oh, oh that's, what do I, what do I even say to this in this situation? It's it's weird how some people do teach me. I even had one guy come up before, um, after I've done the quite this big gig, and he um was saying he works at a school with autistic kids, and then my dad came over because my dad was just and he stopped talking to me, and turned to my dad and was asking my dad if I had a business card. I'm like, I'm still stood next to my dad. What are you? what are you doing right now? It's just weird how people still sort of treat me, even though they've just seen me on stage do 20 minutes of comedy, they're going to be like, no, we got, you can't talk to people off stage. So it's, it's, it's a very odd thing still. Did, did you have a response or do you ever have a response when people, especially the woman who was like with what you've got, did you, do you ever fire back or, or is it just like, thank you? So, so when people say you're so brave, I used to just say thank you. But now I'm just sort of, I think it's only over the past year that I've sort of got a bit more confident to be like, no, you can't, you can't say that. That's not, that's not okay to say. I even had someone like, you know how people still use things like mild autism or that type of thing. It's like those have completely been cancelled out now. Um, and then some guy was like, oh yeah, is your, is your autism, is, is it mild? Because you can talk. And I was like, oh, this, this isn't how it is still so it's just telling those people oh no you can't say these things anymore but mm. some people get angry about it when it's like oh why can't i say those they've always been said and it's like listen to the autistic person that's speaking to you right now they're telling you that these things aren't okay to use anymore i love that you got called brave a lot and then you've become <laughs> brave enough to tell people not to call you brave <laughs> yeah i'm i'm so glad that even though i like i haven't done that many gigs this year i haven't heard it yet and that's one thing I'm very happy about. Like I've had a parent come up and be like, oh yeah, my son's also autistic, but they didn't say anything else. They would have told me and I was like, oh, if they just tell me that, that's that's fine. They don't say anything else after that. So like, yeah, it's I haven't had it yet. So fingers crossed, this is the year people don't say it. <laughs> I hope that for you so much. <laughs> and I think it's, I, when parents come up, it is, I think it, when they say those things, it's not good. But when it comes, sometimes it, comes from a place of you know aspirations are low for a lot of autistic children and I think I do understand why it is um I'm trying not to say inspiring but but you know why it's exciting for a parent where um those aspirations are held very low for their children to see someone who is 
you know, doing comedy is, is pretty cool. And I think it is something which um, a lot of people can't do. So I do understand the excitement from parents, but it's a, it's an insight into the, into some of the language and the way in which autistic kids are being spoken about, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's like I had one mum come up one time and she had her son with her and she was like, oh, you've given my son hope because you're doing comedy. I'm like, oh, this is, this is nice, but I don't, I never know how to really react to that like giving him hope like what was what was before i before he saw me doing comedy what was his what was his <laughs> life what was before. his life like before this <laughs> you can even hope that one day he will know everything about pez dispensers and uh, <laughs> and share that with the world it's yeah no I, I remember now i had a parent say um i don't think you are autistic because my grandchildren are autistic and they're really unhappy uh, oh! Like, what the fuck oh my is going god! My house? heart. <laughs> yeah, I didn't did not know how to respond that. I respond to um, that. I had had one woman um, call me a cunt because I made eye contact with her. She went, <laughs> "Oh, you're you're on stage and you say you can't make eye contact, but you've just made eye contact with me, and you're a cunt for that." And I was like, "You make other autistic people look bad," and I was like. I made eye contact with you for like two seconds then I had to look away again. Like, so it was just, yeah, it's like I can't do it on stage because I can't look up at an audience still, but... Um, Did you think you were a Medusa? <laughs> just when I look up, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, the, that's the oddest one that's ever been said to me. That, that, I just want to know what, what's happening in that woman's life that she's like, liar. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Two seconds of eye contact, and she's like, I will never forget this, you evil, evil person. You've ruined my night. Um, so state school to 16, and then moving up to what we call college, um, so an FE college. What what was that move like? Well, from going... Uh, that was because I, um, after I finished secondary school, um, I went on to work in a, in a supermarket at the age of... <laughs> of 16 um and after like i still i did do that supermarket job for eight years but that was why i was at college and university but going to going to college was fun um there was one of the friends that i made there who was just really into movies because i did just study i had to do because of not having the best grades from um secondary school i had to do one year of a course that was photography and then move on to another course that was two years of doing um, filming uh, well, film and making loads of different short films but it was yeah it's a very different experience going to college being like oh i i have to because i went to one in uh, in south end which is also in in essex um and having to go there and just only having like short days not having to think of it as oh you always have to give you a little break like in secondary school and that so it was a very different experience for me um i did find it hard making friends there but like i did tell a lot of people that I'm autistic and they understood it in class. They even tried to make some short films um, about it. So it was, it's a very odd change to do, but I, I did enjoy college. I'm interested in the short films. So that was with, how did they come about? Yeah. Um, it was just, yeah. So in college, the other person I made friends with, um, we were quite into sort of watching sort of quite obscure movies and that. And we started making very weird short films. Uh, we made a black and white silent film, which was called Alien Cats in Tinfoil Hats. Um, <laughs> Great title. I'm on board. We had, to, we had to make it where we weren't allowed to edit it afterwards. So it had to be all made in camera. So we made like these cardboard cutouts of cats and it's just a really silly film. 
And then after that, we decided to do, um, after we, because we've seen the film Kick-Ass, we were like, oh, we can try and make something like that. I mean, we made two superhero movies called Dion, and it was me in a superhero mask. Um, and my dad made the whole costume for me. Um, so it was like a T-shirt where he'd cut eye holes. Um, but that, yeah, that was the, I got to be the most creative um, in college. And then we had like an awards evening um, for when we were at college and the superhero film did win, but we won best creative group. So that was one very nice thing to have in in college do that type of thing and when the, you they even screened it in the odeon in south end oh, <laughs> cool. the, the whole the whole awards evening so it was like a packed out cinema and you got a little um little trophy as well which is very exciting i just need to get the image in my head because the image that i have i think is wrong you said your dad had a t-shirt <laughs> with eye holes cut out of it so it was a red um, t-shirt yeah you cut the eye holes and then it was just tied at the back oh okay so <laughs> It was born on the face, though. <laughs> but he did. He did. Um, he did. He did make me a, a little cape as well. It was a big red oh, cape okay. that I wore. Oh. All right. Um, I I have a question, uh, which might lead us to a wrap up, uh, or or it might just lead to more questions. You never know. You never know how this goes. But so, real quick, Luke, how long have you been out of school entirely? This isn't the last question. This is just. So I finished, well, education, like university, I finished university in 2014. Okay. So, so, been out. so, so yeah, almost, You've been almost out for eight. A while. Now, <laughs> now we're making it sound like prison. We're like, when'd you get out, bro? <laughs> but that being said, like, it sounds like you had a lot of support from like the educators in your community, but like being around the, your peers, it sounds like it was a little tricky, especially with university where you felt like you were masking or no, you didn't feel like you were masking. You were masking for three years and now you're out and you're you're thriving. You've got this great stand up career. You got people really interested in Pez in a country that apparently didn't have Pez when you were children. This is mind boggling to me. Like, how do you now that you can live as yourself and you you're not in a place where you're masking all the time how how are you feeling about it like is everything um, like how what's your life like now now that we've talked about school <laughs> well i'm a lot i'm a lot happier now it was it's weird it, it wasn't until i was 25 because uh, i'm 30 now it wasn't until i was 25 where i was like i finally just need to accept myself and not hide it away from people anymore and i think mm. from doing stand-up comedy being able to go on stage and talk about it and sort of get that stuff off my chest and even talk about the bad experience I had in the past. I think that helped a lot. And like over the years I've had, I've had jobs that haven't really treated me very well. I had one that even made me go for an IQ test um, when telling them I'm autistic, which I think is probably illegal now. Um, but I'm now in a job where straight away, as soon as I told them, they were just like, oh, what adjustments can we do for you? But the job before that, they'd been like, oh, we need you to send, send you to a health specialist to show that you're autistic. I'm like, how did that ever happen? How did I agree to that? But now I'm in a job where they just respect me and now I'm in a good place in my life and enjoying doing sound comedy. And yeah, it's I'm, I'm much happier now than when I was when I was younger. If you could give, this is like such a <laughs> cheesy question. That was coming. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I am, I'm, I'm going like full Oprah right now. But uh, Luke Poulton, if you could give your younger self one piece of advice, what would you say that would be? If you're looking back at like, um, just don't hide away from people that you're autistic. Just let people know that, and then 
they will understand better as to why you are the way that you are. Mm. That's so true. <laughs> I get you're giggling. You're like, I said it. I did the thing. I said it. <laughs> we can cut that bit with some inspiring music over the over the top. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the word brave will come up on the screen. The <laughs> exactly. Just just so just, just just an echo of it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, th- Luke, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been great to have you. Thanks for showing me. It's been wonderful. Uh, where can we where can we find your work, your Pez history, and your sound um, comedy? So online, I'm just pretty much at Vegan Luke on everything: Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, all those fun things. Vegan Luke. I feel like can we, as a closing point, can we have a a Pez fact? Oh yeah. Uh, you want a you want a Pez fact? Uh, what what type of thing would you like to would you like to learn about? Oh, um, <laughs> I like that, I like that. Is Pez that... isn't specific enough for you. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, but Pez that's a very broad topic, uh, isn't what it? What about is there any Pez controversy? Uh, so there was the the Pez gun um, from the nineteen sixties, uh, which they'd released a laser gun before that, which just it did shoot the Pez out. But in the nineteen sixties. Uh, this was released in America at first. It was a gun that ha- came with a gun permit. Um, and <laughs> yep, came with that. And even the way that you loaded the Pez in was with a gun magazine. So you just had to put, <laughs> put it in the bottom. And then the Pez shot out but like at a speed. And they had to remove it off the market after a little bit because it was a choking hazard because kids were just shooting Pez straight in their mouth. <laughs> Do you, I, I have, because I saw your video on this and as I'm going back to America at the end of this month and when I saw it, I was immediately was like, I'm going to find that Pez dispenser for Luke. <laughs> I'm going to find it because I'll be in Kentucky. There'll be a garage sale somewhere. Oh but yeah, hopefully. Do you have it's, that one? No, I, so I've gone through, I've gone through eBay a lot, but there are people that send it for like 350 pound and i'm like i can't spend that much like the most i spent on one at the moment is 20 pound <laughs> you could get a real gun for that money couldn't you <laughs> yeah 20 pounds you could get a real gun in america yeah. for that money uh awesome that's that's great thank you so much for coming luke and uh yeah everyone check them out online vegan luke uh on all social medias and is that your website as well uh, I've just got a link tree. So the link, link tree, tree is just same thing. Link tree slash we'll vegan Luke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Awesome. Lovely Thank speaking you. to you. Great speaking to you too. Hey, Abigail, do you know about Podspike? Podspike, do you mean the sponsor of our show? Absolutely, I know about Podspike. <laughs> you haven't forgotten about them since last fortnight. <laughs> Absolutely, I haven't forgotten about Podspike because they are basically affordable PR for your new and awesome podcast that you want to do. They're amazing. They take bite-sized chunks of money and they put them into real meaningful things which will help promote your podcast, like getting on apps, uh, getting an analysis of your audience, getting a plan for how to promote your podcast. Uh, Really useful stuff to help you promote your podcast. Here's a question. If this all fails what what are your other podcast ideas i want to do a true crime podcast because there's not enough of them out there 
And <laughs> I want it to be about specifically which houseplant I accidentally killed this week. Because <laughs> I'm really trying to be someone with plants and I'm really <laughs> failing. It's the same murderer every week. It's Abigail. <laughs> yeah, it's actually, it's me. But what, what did I kill? Did I kill a Christmas cactus? I've even killed spider plants. That's talent. Wow, that's amazing. They're unkillable. I, no, no, believe me, you can kill them. <laughs> what did you do? Did you overwater, underwater? I overwatered. I just love them too much. <laughs> Too much kindness. Too much kindness. That'll be the name of my new podcast. What about you? If you had a new podcast, uh, what would you have it be about? Well, I've been thinking there's lots of food podcasts, things that are off menu, uh, very popular formats. I'm thinking of starting a food podcast based around motorway service stations, and I'm going to review them all. I'm a big fan of T-Bay services. Have you been to T-Bay? No, I haven't. It's less of a service station, more of like a spa it's amazing. A, a beautiful views of the Lake District. Uh, you can sit and there's like a lake outside. You can watch ducks in the lake. Beautiful home cooked like food from there's like a farmer's market attached to it. Absolutely lovely stuff. Tea Bay is episode one. And then I'm going to be reviewing all of the other. Cobham's going to be episode two, I think. All the different motorway service stations. I feel like you're going to start high and slowly work your way down to the worst ones ever. <laughs> then it'll just be one of those ones that's just a petrol station with a few sandwiches. But if you are someone with a new podcast and you want to help get it out there, Podspike help optimize the number of clicks you get with improved artwork and show descriptions. They will put a spotlight on your show with features in, in popular newsletters. And you can get more listeners with a high... ROI spots in podcast apps. It's really great how it works as well because you get a promotional power up so you know exactly what your money's being spent on and what you're getting for it. A lot of time PR they just take your money and you don't really know what they're doing with it but you can see exactly where your money's being spent and how it's helping your podcast to grow. And you can check them out at podspike.com. That was Luke Poulton. Absolutely fabulous, fabulous comedian. Everyone should go check him out on TikTok if you haven't already. Listen to his podcast as well. I love, I'm love. i a big fan of his Devil Times 5 podcast as well. If you're a horror film fan, check that out. Yeah, do, do it all. All things Luke Poulton going into your ears and eyes. <laughs> Make it happen, people. It's time for Neurodivergent Moments. Yes, we are getting so many good ones. And thank you, everyone, who's been sending them to us. And, of course, um, if you're new to this podcast, Neurodivergent Moments, we ask our audience to send us little moments in their life when they realize that, oh, their brain works differently than the neurotypical people. So if you have one of these moments, please send it to neurodivergentmomentspod at gmail.com. We, do you want to go first, or shall I? We've um, got some good ones. Yeah, we've got some really good ones. Um, I'm happy to go first. Go for it. Okay, so this is from Anonymous. And they say, Hi, listen to episode one and two tonight because I kept putting off listening in case I got distracted. 
whilst listening, I browsed Facebook, went online clothes shopping, got distracted but never bought what I needed, and played backgammon. I originally listened on headphones so I could do the dishwasher that hubby has been asking me to do for four days. An hour after stopping listening, I started doing the dishwasher and decided to email. Must finish dishwasher after this email. <laughs> <laughs> this is like explaining my last like week and a half. <laughs> Why did I decide to email? Putting the clean cutlery in the drawer, I just found a jar of chocolate spread, which I've been looking for. Guessing I put it there because I couldn't remember which cupboard it belonged in, but who knows? I was pro <laughs> it was probably just easier. I have an autism diagnosis. What a plot twist. Uh, that's me <laughs> saying that, by the way. Uh, beginning to question whether ADHD might be a suitable as well. You think, Anonymous. Oh, and I... <laughs> Oh, and I just realized that I never actually moved the jar of chocolate spread, so clearly it has a new home. Smiley <laughs> face. Oh my god, that is so beautiful. It's like poetry. It's wonderful. It just, I, I, I mean, I've been there. I've been there when you're like, no, 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 I won't do this to us. So I won't get distracted. And then when you finally decide you're not distracted, you'll... You wind up doing eight other things. I like, <laughs> I love the fact that they played backgammon. They're such a fancy person. I have no idea how to play backgammon. I've learned a couple of times. It's one of those games that's like, it's like uh, checkers, I think, in the sense that it's like really easy to learn and then you kind of forget the rules and then someone goes, let's play backgammon and you can pick it up really quickly again. I see. There was so so much to take in there. I feel like I'm gonna need to listen listen back to it again. It felt like what you know when you watch like a um, uh, like a Netflix series and in the beginning of the new season they give you like a recap, but so much has happened yeah. it just crams it all into one. That's what it felt like. Last time on my life, <laughs> I have an autism diagnosis. Beginning to question whether ADHD might be suitable as well. Listen, as we have said. Several times, Anonymous, Joe and I are not uh, medical professionals. However, it might be something <laughs> worth looking into. The evidence speaks for itself. <laughs> and you can have both. My boyfriend has both. He's both ADHD and autistic. And he describes it a lot as uh, his mind constantly fighting with itself because the two can often push against each other in some ways. Order and chaos at the same time. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I do hope they have done their dishwasher though, because four days is quite a while. Yeah. Well, have, have, for the, the mold. When does mold start? Fifth or sixth day, I would guess, is when the mold comes in. And yeah. I've been guilty of it too myself. In my office, I've had mugs that get holes, sort of like ecosystems growing them. Oh my god! Part of my life is just following Tom around and picking up his teacups. <laughs> um, yeah. No, they, they did it. They did it. Look, uh, I'm, I'm rechecking the email. I could do the dishwasher. Started doing the dishwasher and decided to email. Must finish the dish. Oh, maybe it didn't get finished. It's not. I think there's still dirty dishes. But they put the cutlery in the drawer and they found the chocolate spread. And I think what is most important in this whole email is that they found the chocolate spread. <laughs> because that's really the most delightful Thing you can have in your home. Do you and think now, that's from a previous uh, 
moment where it's a previous neurodivergent moment where the chocolate spread's been left somewhere, been lost, and then it's been found again. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because uh, they now say it has a new home. And I believe if I understanding this email we are like now dissecting this email <laughs> like it's a poem like in stanza two i think what the writer is telling us uh found the chocolate spread um i think they left it in the cutlery drawer which makes me wonder how big is your cutlery drawer <laughs> it's a beautiful beautiful moment and this is we can use this podcast as a reminder for them to do their dishwasher maybe they probably need to do it again do do yes. your dishwasher yes. now Yes, please. Uh, th this was sent to us mid-May. So if you haven't gone back to the dishwasher, <laughs> please check it out. Uh, what have you got for us, Joe? Do you have a neurodivergent moment? I do. Hi, Joe. I have a condition called functional neurological disorder, where my brain and central nervous system often don't communicate as they should. Sometimes one of my limbs will just start doing its own thing. I really like that as a phrase, just do its own thing. Uh, I had found out quite by accident that shouting, stop it, can sometimes surprise my brain into sending and receiving messages in an orderly fashion, allowing me to carry on with a task. One evening at about rush hour, I was trying to cross a busy road near my house. Oh, I'm quite scared about this story now. I, hope. I guess they made out alive because they sent the email. Uh, one evening at about rush hour, I was trying to cross a busy road near my house when my right leg started doing its own thing, kind of jerking and flapping about just as I was in the middle of the road. I started shouting, stop it, stop it. And at the moment, saw through the eyes of the driver who had stopped to let me cross, an apparently fit and able-bodied man waving one leg around and shouting at himself. <laughs> Funny thing, the brain. Cheers, Dan. I, I, I love that. I, lo I've, I hope we get another email from the driver. If you were the driver who saw Dan shouting, stop it, uh, as you let him cross the road, please get in touch. God, I, I love that so much. Uh, sorry, I lost my words for a second because I'm just picturing him running around being like, stop it, stop it. God bless. I love, I love how at the end of that, he's just like, funny thing, the brain, isn't it? <laughs> That's yeah. our moments for the week. That is. And and just to throw it out there, I know we talked about this in our very first episode. Um, so far on the podcast, we've only released our episodes with people who have ADHD and uh, are autistic. But neurodivergency expands past that. I, we know most of you know that this who listen to it. Uh, but uh, it also includes like dyspraxia and dyslexia and uh, different um, just different types of brains, brains that work differently. So um, in case anyone's listening who's like, wait a minute, this person isn't autistic or ADHD, you don't have to be ADHD or, or autistic to be neurodivergent. I just felt like I had to say that. We've got no bouncers on the door of the club. Anyone's sort of allowed in if they want to come in. Yeah. If you've got an unusual brain, you're allowed in the club. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, that's actually, there is one bouncer. If you have a usual brain, you're not allowed in the club. Well, that's true, yes. Yeah. <laughs> if you listen to all this and go, why would anyone put their chocolate spread in the cutlery drawer? And why would someone yell stop it to their limbs while walking alone? And you think that's ridiculous. You're not allowed in the club. I'm sorry. <laughs> We're, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. We've got our Patreon. We've got lots of new, thank you to our patrons. We've got some lovely patrons who are, supporting us and we're, we're having conversations about what we could how we could build this in the second series do things differently do more 
Yes. Yeah. That's worth noting. Those of you who have subscribed to the Patreon, thank you so much. And uh, the money that we're getting from the Patreon, we're going to reinvest back in this podcast to make it a better listening experience for you. So um, thank you for helping us build this. It's really nice. It's been lovely. The feedback's been amazing. I had some people at my Brighton Fringe show. Thank you to people that came to that. Come and say they listened to the podcast. It was really exciting. Oh, that's so sweet. And um, also, speaking of shows, um, if you want to check out where I'm on, it's always on my website, abagalia.com slash gigs. Go there. That's all of my shows. And I will be at the Edinburgh Fringe doing my new show called Legally Cheeky at 620. So if you're up there, please check that out. And what about you, Joe? Where can they find your shows and whatnot? They'll be on my website, which is joewells.org.uk. And uh, I'm at the end of a fringe as well. My show is called I Am Autistic, because uh, I couldn't think what to call it. <laughs> so I just called it <laughs> I Am Autistic. And uh, I will be at the Banshee Labyrinth at midday uh, every day for the whole Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Yeah. Oh, I just realized we're allowed to announce it now. Oh, guys, yeah. guys, this is big. <laughs> it's so big. Joe, do you want to tell them it's so big? We're doing Latitude Festival. We are. I'm so excited. We're doing a live recording of neurodivergent moments at the Listening Post in Latitude on Saturday. We don't know what time yet, but it'll be our first live recording. And we'd love if any of you are going to Latitude or if you're on the fence about it, please do come and please come and see us in the Listening Post. It would be just amazing. I'm very excited. Me too. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you soon. See you soon. Bye.